everybody, it's Ellen Weatherford. And Christian Weatherford. And we're here with Just the Zoo of Us, your favorite animal review podcast, where we take your favorite animals and review them by rating them out of 10 in the categories of effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. We are not zoological experts, but we do our best to bring the most correct information we can. We're here mere moments after an assassination attempt in which Christian gave me the most caustic, acidic liquid I've ever tasted in my life. You just handed me straight acid in a cup. <laughs> the lemon juice is good for you. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Probably. Said, here, have this refreshing water that definitely won't immediately dissolve the entire inside of your mouth. You know what we don't have in this house? What? Scurvy. <laughs> That's so true. You're welcome. That's so true. <laughs> I'm confident that I've got a real banger on my hands. Okay. I got some surprises, some twists and turns. Cool, cool. Yeah. I'm going to rehash some some previously treaded trails. I mean, so am I a little bit. So maybe a little bit of a, like a review session or something, like in school when you'd about to have a big test, mm. you'd have like a review session or something. Mm-hmm. We're going to play like Review Jeopardy or something. Did you ever <laughs> do that in classes? A little bit, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, we had a lot of the same teachers, so it's uh-huh. probably the same stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we should talk about the aquarium event we went to this weekend. Yes. This weekend, the Seattle Aquarium launched a very cool crossover event with Animal Crossing. Mm-hmm. And we went to it with JC from our Discord. It was really, really fun. Took our kids. The kids loved it. For people who are Animal Crossing fans, they had Blathers-themed signage all mm-hmm. over the place, like next to the exhibits, like next to like the moon jellyfish. There'd be like a plaque with like Blathers and like some of the stuff he says about moon jellyfish in the game and like standees of all the characters all over the place. There's a cute like gift shop display with some Animal Crossing character like pillows and it was a really good time. Yeah. And you know, I realized... When we got there, that that was probably Finley's first introduction to the Animal Crossing franchise. He's certainly seen me play it. I don't know. I played it extensively when he was a newborn. When he was going through that phase where he only wanted to be held all the time. Played a lot of Animal Crossing during that time. So maybe some soaked into his little newborn brain. (laughs) He's going to, in a couple of years, he'll see it and wonder why it seems familiar. (laughs) Well, he really liked it. Um, And then afterwards, I was uh, scrolling through TikTok on my phone and Finley saw an Animal Crossing like TikTok on my phone and he pointed to it. He said, like the aquarium. So it was a really cool event. It's going on. Uh, They have the decorations up until December 31st. So if you do live in the Seattle area, go check that out. It's really cute. You're probably going to see those again, huh? <laughs> yeah, I'm for sure. I go to that aquarium <laughs> so much. Uh, we have a membership, so we go all the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it was a very cute cute way to spend a morning. So, Christian, that brings us to your animal for this week. What you got? Uh, nothing related to Animal Crossing, unfortunately. I don't think. Oh, there is one in the game. Well, let's intro first, I okay. suppose. <laughs> it's like in a weird way that it's in the game, okay. but I'll tell you about it in a minute. So I'm talking about the snowy owl, uh, scientific name Bubo scandiacus, Ooh. formerly mm-hmm. Nyctea scandiaca. And they changed it to Bubo? Yes. And that's considered an upgrade to them. Well, it was an existing genus that they placed them into. Mm. But anyway, what was this Animal Crossing snowy owl? Okay, so in Animal Crossing New Horizons, mm-hmm. the the Switch game, 
you know how there's like the what do they call it visitor it's been like two years since i played this game but Mm -hmm. you know how like there's that building that's like visitor services or guest services i don't remember exactly what it's called but Mm -hmm, it's like the building mm -hmm. where like tom nook and isabel were yes outside of that building there's a lamp and like a little sign like a bulletin board sign Mm -hmm. and a little bird perches on top of that sign during the winter months, when your island is snowy, mm-hmm. it's a snowy owl. Aww. So it's like just a little hidden snowy owl. It's okay. not one you can actually like interact with in the game. Got it. But it's so cute and it makes me happy to see it. <laughs> Love it. This species was submitted by Julie Brooks and her son, Tyler. Thank you, Julie and Tyler. Thank you. And I'm getting my information from audubon.org as well as Animal Diversity Web. So let's talk about it. It, is, it is an owl. So Excellent. That. Great to hear. Are they made of snow, perhaps? <laughs> no, but they resemble the coloration. Okay. Now, this is a pretty large owl that is flighted. Mm-hmm. I would hope so. Yes. Well, is. that would be a deviation from the last owl you talked about. Yes, the burrowing owl, mm-hmm. noted for spending lots of time on the ground. But this one does fly. It is a pretty big one, too. It is 63 to 73 centimeters long, which is about 25 to 29 inches, with an average wingspan of 170 centimeters, or 67 inches. Phew. Yes. I was going to say, like, I wonder if it's one of those cases where an animal looks really big, but they're really just super fluffy. Well, <laughs> females weigh uh, up to 1,600 grams, which is about three and a half pounds. Oh, they're secretly little. Yes. I mean, this is a bird thing, especially a flighted bird thing right right. and then the males weigh up to 1500 grams or about 3.2 pounds okay so they're they're teeny underneath all that fluff yep normally they have a circumpolar distribution this is an important word for mine as well so is it talk about it uh so circumpolar meaning uh they can be found in the regions closest to the north pole but not the south pole not the south pole uh, so their breeding areas are Alaska, Canada, Greenland, Scandinavia, Russia, etc. However, they can move further south during the winter. I've heard of this happening. Yes. It causes a big commotion. <laughs> Especially in the birding community. Oh, oh. <laughs> there's all sorts of drama about it. Yeah. Every year there's snowy owl drama. Anytime there's a there's a bird where it's not supposed to be. Oh, they go nuts for it. It's they love it. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even go here. <laughs> um, but they are normally found in open tundra mm-hmm. um, in that circumpolar distribution. Now, when I think open tundra, I don't think of a place with a lot of perches for birds. Yes, because the things they hunt are not in trees. Oh. Yes, and neither are their nests. So, like we've already mentioned, one evolutionary relative is the burrowing owl from episode 85. That was a long time ago. Yes, that was alongside the opossum in February of 2021. It's a great episode. Yes. They belong to the same family, which is the Strigidae. Or the true or typical owls. The true owls. Yes. <laughs> We're gatekeeping owls. Always. Um, as I alluded to earlier, there was some taxonomic controversy recently. Let's hear about it. So previously, it was in its own genus, Nyctea, but more recently, it was placed in the horned owl genus, Bubo. And some disagree with that classification. I can't get past Bubo. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah. I, if I was the snowy owl and they were like, oh, we're moving you to the genus Bubo, I would also be object. I'd be like, can you not? <laughs> yeah. And to note, Bubo means horned owl. Whereas Scandiaca means of Scandinavia, you know, the northern part of Scandinavia being part of their breeding territory. And then their former genus Nyctea means night. That's way cooler. It is, I suppose. 
But that's wow. <laughs> Huge downgrade. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give a nine out of ten. Very good. Yes. Very good. So the first thing I wanted to talk about is their silent flight. This is the coolest thing. Yes. I love owls for this. Yes. So this isn't specific to the snowy owl. Many owls are like this. But the design of their wing feathers are such that it dampens sound. So that swooshing sound that you sometimes associate with you know, a big wing flapping, right. it dampens that sound. And they also have large wings compared to their bodies, so they don't have to flap as often. Did you happen to see any pictures of an owl feather like super up close? I did, but didn't quite understand it. The like edges of the feathers mm-hmm. are serrated. Mm. They're like jagged, like the edge of like a knife or I something see. like that. And so the idea, I'm pretty sure, is that when they're flying through the air, it like breaks up the edge of the wing so that it's not like all the air is flowing in one big sort of shelf over their mm. wing. And it makes it not like whoosh. Okay, that makes sense. But I feel like when I watch like movies or TV shows, when an owl is flying around, they edit in a swooshing sound. Yeah, I mean, it's that same kind of thing where they edit in eagle sounds and... <laughs> Giving a cheetah a tiger roar, that kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) They got to zhuzh it up a little bit. They got to make it cooler. Yeah, yeah. But if you're ever watching a show and there's an owl flying around and they do a whoosh sound, call them out immediately. (laughs) Turn to everybody watching with you and say, actually. (laughs) Right in the theater. Right then there. (laughs) Can I have everyone's attention, please? (laughs) Bring up the lights. (laughs) No, please leave. (laughs) They do find their prey by sight and sound, often by day which is something that kind of separates them from the typical owl. Yeah, you think of owls being nighttime dudes. These are diurnal. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why they had to move them out of that genus. They were like, you do not, <laughs> you've, you haven't earned the title. <laughs> you don't fly at night at, anyway. Get right. out of here. Although, okay, you mentioned that they live like up in the Arctic, right? Yes. So if they needed to, <laughs> if they needed to hunt at night in the dark... They'd be screwed, right? And when it's bright for what six months at a time up there. That's true, but on the other side, you know, they'll be forced into one either way. Oh shoot! Yeah, you're right. It's a fifty-fifty. <laughs> Are they okay? I mean, yeah, mostly. <laughs> so the next thing I want to talk about is a couple things I talked about with the uh, burrowing owl, but I thought it was so cool it deserves talking about again. Please, and that was years ago. You're good. Yeah, it's like yeah, it never yeah. happened. Yeah, yeah. So first up are the eye balls. You're doing air quotes. People can't yes. see that you're doing air quotes. <laughs> so I do and say that because uh, they don't technically have eyeballs per se. Mm. They are not spherical shape. What shape are they? They're tubed shaped. And that that's a very big generalization. You'd mm-hmm. have to see a picture to really understand what this shape is. But the point is, they are not spherical and cannot turn in their sockets. So, mm. yeah, it's like, no side eye. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So their eyes relative to their skull and face are always pointed in one direction. So whatever their head is pointing at, that's what they're looking at. Yes. They can't be they, they can't be looking in a different right. direction. I've seen a picture of their eyeballs and it's kind of I would describe it as almost like a mushroom shape. It reminds me of some of the, like the landing capsules from the space shuttles that you see that land in the ocean. I don't think that's going to help anybody. Well, <laughs> I don't think that's helping a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> we've been to kennedy space center so it helps us sure. but i don't think it helps a lot of people but they're funky they're yes. weird and they can't turn which is the important part right so those tube shaped eyeballs do not move and it makes up for this by being able to turn their heads quite a bit another thing they're known for 
So with that eyeball arrangement, they have 110 degrees of vision, um, with only 70 degrees of that being binocular vision. So this is where each eye has a field of vision in the part of it that overlaps with each other. That's your binocular vision. Mm, oh, binocular, meaning like two yes. eyes, like you're seeing it with two eyes. Yes. And that's important for depth perception. It is. Yes. So they just don't have great depth perception then? They do. By comparisons, humans have 200 degrees of vision and 120 degrees of, of binocular uh, vision. And that was according to a slide I had found back in 2021. Oh, look at you. <laughs> <laughs> Looking out for future Christians. Yes. That, that slide was from Gordon Wettstein at Stanford University, and that was titled The Human Visual System. Very interesting. Yeah. Some other birds have close to 360 degrees of vision, but only around 10 degrees of binocular vision. That's because I feel like a lot of other, because owls are a little bit unique among birds and mm. the fact that their eyes face straight ahead. Right. There's like a, a flat plane that their eyes are on. Right. And most other birds, their eyes are on the side of their head. Yes. So they're going to get a really wide field of view. Yes. But owls don't. I think that goes to the prey predator configuration of eyes yeah but even like birds of prey right like hawks and that's eagles true. and stuff they have the side facing eyes mm -hmm. that's why like it is kind of like a common thing for predators to have forward facing eyes but it's not a rule that's true right you get like birds of prey but also like crocodiles right mm -hmm. and then you've got like orangutans and gorillas and stuff that are not predators but they do have forward facing eyes mm -hmm. so it's like you're always going to have kind of exceptions to every rule. Sure. But owls do have those completely like forward-facing eyes. It gives them very like human faces, mm -hmm. which can be a little spooky, a little unsettling for some people. It's used masterfully in um, some works of art, like fiction. Oh, for sure. <laughs> owls have like art cornered. I think of Avatar The Last Airbender. Yeah. With... What's his name? Wan Chi Tong? Is that what his the, name was? The librarian. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. I think he was based on a barn owl, but yeah. an awesome, awesome dude. Mm-hmm. Another thing that owls in general are known for is that head turning that we kind of talked about. They can turn their heads 270 degrees. So that's kind of making up for that like limited field of view right. then. But something interesting about that is they have a special blood pooling system for their brains and eyes when that motion cuts off circulation. Oh, really? Yes. Wow. You probably told me this before. I completely forgot. <laughs> Same. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, yeah, that makes sense because if you have your head turned around, it's going to be like restricting your... Yeah, like if you think of like the arteries and things as like a garden hose, like mm -hmm. eventually that turn is going to restrict the, the flow. Right. And you need blood flowing to your head. That's mm. where your important parts yes, are. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but they don't have that problem when they turn their head. Uh, I guess not within that normal range of motion, at least. Interesting. If, if not for that range of motion, they would probably not be able to do that, even if their like, spine anatomy would let them do it. A lot of things to take into consideration. It seems kind of simple, right? They can swivel their head a lot, but then it's like, well, there's a bunch of machinery under the hood that you need to like, right. <laughs> work around there. <laughs> you have to care for the weakest link. It's like that video we saw the other day of the house that they like made rotate. Did you watch that video with me? I don't me? think so. I was watching this video about these people that like, these are these rich people that had a mansion and the guy was like annoyed that he could only like get the view off the side of the mountain from certain rooms mm. so he put the entire house on like a turntable basically so that the whole house could like rotate so you could get like the view from any room okay which involved then having to like wire the entire house in a very special way so that like the wiring and plumbing and everything say, wouldn't the, get messed up the plumbing comes to mind yeah like <laughs> 
I don't know how they did it, but it was a major consideration. Yeah. But it's kind of like the owl, right? They need to have everything wired up so that when you're rotating, you're not messing any connections up. Yeah, it's just with plumbing, that's usually a, a very rigid material. So yeah. I'm curious how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> They're not making... Uh, plumbing pipes out of rubber people try oh it doesn't go well nope i wouldn't do it <laughs> next thing is their feet tell me about their feet so they have a zygodactyl configuration of their feet oh this was on the last episode this was on the roadrunner episode ah uh, which means two forward-facing toes and two backward-facing toes um, however in owls one of those back toes can be pivoted to help with walking and grasping good idea yeah I think ospreys can do this too that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like they're spending some time on the ground, so they would they would need that. Mm-hmm. That's for their um, taking down the prey. And on those feet, they have very sharp talons. Oof. Yeah. They're pretty impressive to look at because they're like a black color, and they, their feet have those long feathers that are kind of covering up their toes a little bit. Their pants, yes. So they have like bell-bottom pants, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I love ruffly pants. Yes. And I just want to talk about their prey, primarily lemmings. Really? Yes. I didn't think they were so specialized. Yeah. I have so much to say about lemmings. I'm fighting for my life to keep it in. I'm uh, not going to do well, it. Well, all I had to say was uh, your small rodent? Question yes. Mark? Yes. Okay. Yeah, they're rodents. I have been on a kick recently about lemmings mm-hmm. and why they're not what people think they are, but I'll save that for a future well, lemming episode. Okay. Well, in this situation, just no snowy owl food. <laughs> <laughs> popcorn for snowy owls <laughs> little rodent nuggets <laughs> um so those are their primary ones but they'll go after other things opportunistically like other small animals and fish and other birds sure so that wraps up effectiveness for ingenuity this one has to do with smarts things they could do uh, that requires thinking like could be tool use hunting methods uh-huh. i'm gonna go ahead and give a seven for ingenuity are they wise couldn't find anything to say they are okay i'll tell you what i know (laughs) (laughs) i'll tell you what i know about owl wisdom okay so the association between owls and wisdom comes from greek mythology perfect owls were like associated with athena the goddess of wisdom but this is based on conversations i've had with people who work with birds of prey including owls Mm -hmm. that noggin is like 90% eyes. Every inch of real estate in their head is dedicated to eyes. It's image processing. And they <laughs> left no room for brain. <laughs> and so you don't get a lot of thought occurring in that little noggin. Okay. So based on what I've been told by people who work with them, they're not particularly bright. Okay, that makes sense. Now, I can't say if the snowy owl... Like, if this applies to them, because I don't think they're, like, the type of bird that's, like, worked with super often, Mm -hmm. but just saying, that's what I've heard about owls. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. (laughs) Uh, So, some of the things I did find. They have communication through sight, sound, and touch. That includes courtship displays and territorial posturing. That's the opposite of that. (laughs) A come hither and a go thither. (laughs) (laughs) So this includes things like even some ground posturing where they're on the ground and just kind of like fanning out their feathers, doing little bows and things. Slay. Dive bombing in midair. Love that. (laughs) They're put on a show. They know. They're like, this is what you want to see. Yes. Um, Speaking of that. Uh, they will do something called distraction displays. Really? When their nest is threatened by a predator, for example. Both male and female will dive bomb the attacker, trying to pull their attention away from the nest. Mm. 
This is a much cooler version of the same behavior done by, what was it, morning doves? Mm-hmm. Yeah, where they like pretend that they've been injured. Yes. Right? Like grievously wounded on death's doorstep. This is like the cooler version of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the last thing I had to talk about with ingenuity has to do with them being migratory birds. It's mostly based on food abundance, however, rather than seasons. So sometimes you'll hear this term, an eruption of snowy owls. An eruption of snowy owls. <laughs> yes. So it could be that, you know, maybe the, the population had a particularly good breeding year. Mm-hmm. It had lots of new owls and there's a shortage of food in, you know, the, the more northern territories. So they have to go further to find food. You know how like... You'll see these like BuzzFeed lists or something that's like all the funniest. They're called terms of venery, but like words for groups of animals. Mm -hmm. Eruption of snowy owls is pretty good. Well, this is meant more of like a behavioral term, like something they're doing, not necessarily like a grouping term. You should repurpose it. (laughs) It's a cool word. I mean, I can't stop you. I mean, you want something to go in the headlines. If you're having a slow news day, an eruption of snowy owls, that's going to get some eyes. A landslide of pangolins. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is how they got to Sharknado, I'm pretty sure. A tornado of sharks. It's all making sense now. Mm -hmm. Now, in our part of the United States, which is now the Pacific Northwest, it's unusual to see them further south than Oregon. However, last year, there was a single bird that found its way all the way to the Los Angeles region (gasps) of California. What do you do? Baby, no! (laughs) (laughs) Which, for those unfamiliar with the geography, that is much further south than Oregon. Yeah, that's like (laughs) close to Mexico. (laughs) (laughs) And it caused quite the stir in the community. I would imagine. Especially the birders. Not something you expect to see down there. It basically showed up in a heavily residential area and just was just there. Poor guy was so lost. <laughs> I don't know how I got here. <laughs> so it would it showed up to this like this balcony of someone's house and then would like leave and come back for hunting. Can you imagine looking out your window <laughs> and you're like did I take the wrong medicine this morning? Like, <laughs> am I experiencing something? Yeah. Because it's snowy owl has to be at the bottom of list of things you expect to see on your balcony. Yeah. So it caused a huge stir. It brought the community together. Good, nice story. And then as mysteriously as it came, it left. <laughs> I have seen a lot of pictures of birders who, especially when they make their way down into like Central Park, you'll see them in Central Park sometimes mm-hmm. and people will just like rush Central Park coming to like take pictures of it. But a lot of times people will look out for the snowy owl and like enforce a boundary around it yes. so that people don't like run right up to it and like scare it off or freak it out or anything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes people will like look out for snowy owls and yep. And try to make sure nobody like harasses them while they're around. Yeah, so they're they're protected by a lot of the same uh, like migratory bird rules, having to make no harassing. You can't even like collect feathers and pellets and things without a permit. Right. So very protected from that standpoint. I've seen a lot of people like when they find a rare bird that's like not where it's supposed to go or something like that. A mm-hmm. bird that is like the type of bird that people would be likely to like 
flock to <laughs> flock to yes um what they'll do is they'll like post a picture of it and not reveal the location until the bird's already left mm. so like that's one way like if you do see like a really rare bird or something like that that's one way you can kind of look out for them is yeah maybe, like maybe like not share the picture until they're gone yeah there was no hope of that happening in this no situation, absolutely not but... i know people were on <laughs> instagram live yeah yeah <laughs> just streaming the snowy owl um, you think it has a twitch stream Oh, it would have been nice. That would have been funny. Yeah. <laughs> so it showed up in like November of last year and then was gone by early January. Mm, that's still cool. Yeah. What a lucky day for that person. Mm-hmm. That has to be better than all those condors that showed up on that person's house. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, and aesthetics, how good they look mm-hmm. up here. I'm getting full 10 out of 10. How, how could you not? It's the best looking owl. It just is. That's bold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i welcome all challenges uh so like i mentioned yeah you know they have a white coloration and then kind of a varying degree of like black or brown spotting depending mm-hmm. on whether it's male female and how young it is but yeah it's it's meant to you know camouflage into the frozen tundra and also it slays <laughs> yes <laughs> Their conservation status as of a 2021 IUCN assessment is vulnerable. So their big risk factors have to do with climate change, loss of habitat, and fatality from direct human interactions, such as hunting, vehicle collisions, and power lines. That makes sense being a a bird that spends a good amount of time on the ground. Mm -hmm. Maybe it it would be at risk of being hit by a vehicle. So that's another problem with the migratory nature that's, you know, not super regular so you'll have these birds that are used to you know very sparsely populated areas you know near the north pole and then coming down to very heavily you know residential areas and having to deal with a bunch of stuff that it's never seen before right yeah they don't know how to act (laughs) and of course this is an owl that is seen in media a lot for the harry potter fans out there i believe that is what hedwig was based on Mm -hmm. Uh, and also used in the movies probably more than one bird if i had to guess i'm not huge into the harry potter behind the scenes stuff yeah i really don't know anything about the lore behind the owl i wouldn't have chosen an owl to be my best buddy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because you, you gotta have those like bulletproof gloves to carry them right like <laughs> i wonder if daniel radcliffe has like scars from dealing with that owl <laughs> probably so that is the snowy owl excellent thank you yeah that's a very good bird mm-hmm. i like this bird thank you christian that was great of course let's take a quick break to hear from our friends on the max fun network and then we'll get to my animal I'm Dan McCoy. I'm Stuart Wellington. I'm Elliot Kalen. And together we are The Flophouse, a long-running podcast on the Maximum Fun Network, where we watch a bad movie and then talk about it. And because we're so long-running, maybe you haven't given us a chance. I get it. But you don't actually have to know anything about previous episodes to enjoy us. And I promise you that if you find our voices irritating, we grow endearing over time. Perhaps you listened to one of our old episodes and decided that we were dumb and immature. Well, we've been doing this a while now. We have become smarter and more mature and generally nicer to Dan. But we are only human, so no promises. Find the Flophouse on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get podcasts. Co-Optober continues in celebration of National Co-Op Month. I'm Palmeria Muniz, producer and a worker-owner at MaxFun. I'm Jesus Ambrosio, producer, and I'm also a worker-owner at MaxFun. This week is all about community. 
Of course, we couldn't be a co-op without the MaxFun community, and we love it whenever members of our audience get together. So we're having another MaxFun meetup this Thursday, October 12th. And next week, we'll be hosting a panel discussion with other worker owners across the co-op community. And we are still selling our limited edition launch crew merch available to all MaxFun members. But only through the end of the month. For more info on Meetup Day and everything Co-Optober, head to MaximumFun.org slash Co-Optober. That's C-O-O-P-T-O-B-E-R. Have a great week. All right. So what also circumpolar animal <laughs> have you brought, Ellen? Mine is the polar bear. Ah. Not the circumpolar bear. That would be too much. There's one bear going all the way around. <laughs> <laughs> the scientific name is Ursus maritimus. Mm. Species was submitted by Holly Bruillette. I'm sorry if I mispronounced your name. And Red Snyder. Thank you both. Great suggestion. Christian just did a segment on brown bears. Very close cousin of the polar bear. Normally, I would try to give a little bit more space between doing the brown bear and the polar bear. But I figured we got bears fresh on the brain right yeah polar bears are very different from brown bears there's some room for compare and contrast that's right there in the name it's right there in the name (laughs) so i figured it was okay i'm getting my information from the national wildlife federation the san diego zoo and other sources that i will cite as they come up because they're papers with interesting names Mm. so an adult male polar bear can weigh up to 1700 pounds and measure up to 11 feet long. Wow. Adult females are much smaller, like about half the size of an adult male. They are the largest bear. They are also the largest terrestrial carnivore. So they are the largest land predator. On the planet. On the planet. You will not get a larger land predator than this. Which, it's funny because they call it a land predator for this, but it's also considered a marine mammal because of how much time it spends in the water. Oh, well, it's not even breaking top ten there. (laughs) Not even close. (laughs) (laughs) So calling it a land predator really feels like you're you're throwing it a bone here. Now, they can also be found in Arctic regions, which are the lands and ice surrounding the North Pole. Mm -hmm. And now, here's a fun way to remember which pole has bears, whether it is the North or the South Pole. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes it can be easy to forget whether bears live around the North Pole or around the South Pole in Antarctica with the penguins. A lot of times people think that polar bears eat penguins, but they don't. They live on opposite sides of the planet. Mm -hmm, A mm -hmm. polar bear doesn't know what a penguin is. So, if you have a hard time remembering that, there's an interesting, a fun little way to remember that I think I actually talked about when you talked about the brown bear, but I'm talking about it again because I like it. Okay. So, the word Arctic comes from the ancient Greek word arctos, which meant bear. They used that word to refer to the north because the constellation Ursa Major, the bear, appears in the northern sky. Oh. So the word was referring to like towards the bear, meaning towards the bear constellation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Coincidentally, there happened to also be bears there. (laughs) (laughs) It was leading them to bears. (laughs) Yes, it it really will take you to bears. That is towards the bears. And then Antarctic means like anti-Arctic, away Mm. from the bears. Mm -hmm. No bears land. (laughs) They were confused. Uh, so yeah, they, that's how you can remember that the Arctic is the land of the bears. Okay. Now, 
they are closest cousins with the brown bear. So polar bears and brown bears are siblings, basically, like taxonomically. In fact, polar bears descended from brown bears. So the lineage of polar bears split off from a population of brown bears within the last 500,000 years, which sounds like a long time ago, but on the like evolutionary scale, it's really not. Mm-hmm. It's not that long ago. It's very short. <laughs> the San Diego Zoo's website described them as the newest of the eight bear species, which I think is a very fun way of describing it. That is like this fresh. <laughs> the latest model. <laughs> Wake up, babe. New bear just dropped. The I bear 12. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, next year there's going to be another one. I'll just wait. I don't want to have to get a new bear every year. Can fit so many megapixels. <laughs> So, for effectiveness, I'm giving the polar bear a 9.5 out of 10. Okay. I'm teetering towards 10. Yeah. But I have to bring it down just a little bit. I'm going to start with their fur because it absolutely blew my mind. So, the polar bear's fur appears white when you just look at it on Mm -hmm. the bear. But if you were to zoom in and examine it very, very closely, you would see that the individual hairs are not truly white. They don't contain a white pigment. They're clear. There's no color there. Oh, this again. (laughs) (laughs) The hairs are hollow with chambers on the inside, kind of like a chambered Nautilus's shell. Oh. How they're kind of segmented on the inside, but hollow. There's pockets of air on the inside. Sure. But there's no actual color to the hair itself. It's my favorite color. Nothing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Love it. So if you part their hair and look at their skin underneath, it is black. Hmm. So polar bears are actually black with clear hair, which is really interesting. So let's talk about light. The transparent hairs scatter light from the sun. A little bit of light reflects back out to make the fur appear white. But a lot of that light passes through the sheath of the hair when it reaches the hollow core. My understanding is that something happens to light when it passes from one medium into another. Yes. That when it goes from like a material to a different material, it just goes bonkers. Mm -hmm. So when it reaches the hollow core, it is reflected at an angle that keeps the light moving down towards the skin, either like inside the sheath of the hair or out into the other hairs around it. So every time it hits a piece of hair, the light's being scattered. And like pushed down towards the skin. So the scattering and bouncing is repeated with every single hair that the light hits. They have a really dense coat, so it's a lot of hair. And these the light energy is just ping-ponging around the fur, bouncing around until it is either reflected back out into the air or hits the bear's black skin and absorbed as heat. Mm. And then the denser, fluffier undercoat keeps that heat trapped and held close to the body keeping the bear warm. So it basically gives them both the benefit of having that black skin to absorb as much heat as they can, Mm -hmm. while also trapping the heat close to their body. And the fact that the hair appears white helps them camouflage. Because if they just had black skin and black fur to absorb heat, they'd stick out like a sore thumb, right? Like in an ice field. They'd be obvious. I was trying to think if there'd be any other drawback, but I think it's just the not not being very well camouflaged. That would (laughs) not work at all for them. It'd be super bad. (laughs) So there has been a lot of back and forth between scientists over whether polar bear fur can be considered fiber optic. I was just thinking this sounds a lot like how internet fiber works with, with light. 
So some people say no because it scatters too much light back out. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's losing a lot of light. The whole point of like a fiber optic material is that it's supposed to like retain as much of the light as possible, right? Mm-hmm. And this is like scattering a lot of light. So they're like, no, it's scattering too much. It's not fiber optic. But then um, I found this paper where these other researchers were saying, yes, it has fiber optic properties because the light just gets scattered into the other hairs around it, which bounce the light down to to the skin. So you get a collective fiber optic effect, Mm -hmm. even though the individual hairs don't have the same function as a fiber optic cable. As a collective, like, pelt of fur, it gets the job done, basically. Yeah. So this gets into light physics, which I don't understand, I have to admit. But the paper that I read about this was called Fiber Optical Light Scattering Technology in Polar Bear Hair, a reevaluation and new results. And that was by M.Q. Katab and H. Tribich in the Journal of Advanced Biotechnology and Bioengineering in 2015. Hmm. So... I can't take sides on the whether polar bears are fiber optics or not. I don't know enough about light physics. I'm sorry. I just found it interesting. <laughs> now, in zoos, sometimes algae can grow in their fur. Oh. Because that's like free real estate, right? It's just like a bunch of space that's warm and damp. Right. So they uh, can turn green. Huh. <laughs> polar bears sometimes might appear green <laughs> because of algae growing in their fur. It's not harmful to the polar bear at all. It's just It just looks kind of funny. Yeah. So, in addition to their fur, which helps them a lot with the light conditions and temperatures that they live in, they also have a lot of really cool adaptations for diving and swimming that really set them apart from the other bears. They have a much more streamlined shape than other bears do. So, if you look at their head, especially in profile, their head is very flattened. Mm -hmm. The eyes are high up on the head and the nose is like high up, which lets them, like other aquatic animals poke their nose out of the water and look around and breathe without having to reveal their entire body. Mm-hmm. So it lets them be very stealthy in the water. They can raise just their their nostrils and their eyes. They also have a nictitating membrane. Oh. Yeah, which is a clear eyelid that can close and allow them to keep their eyes open and look around while they're underwater. Wish we had that. That would be great. I'd say that's, that's pretty unusual in mammals, isn't it? Um, I don't think so because some mammals have this for like desert environments. Mm. Um, so I wouldn't say it's unusual. It's just an interesting like thing that they have. I guess when I when I hear that term, I think of sharks mostly. I think of birds. Oh, okay, it's a thing a lot of birds have. I see it a lot when I take pictures of birds. Mm. They also have wide flat paws that are partially webbed to help them swim. My older son and I got a really up-close look at the Point Defiance Zoo like a month or so ago. When we were there, the polar bears were receiving enrichment at the time. So the polar bears were fully jumping into the water and swimming up close to the glass and playing with like a ball that was floating in the water. Mm -hmm. So they were like putting their paws on the glass and we got to see the actual like paws of the polar bear is like the size of my head Mm. so they act like a big paddle basically to let them swim in the water really well it's super cool but then they have some cool adaptations under the hood too the polar bear's digestive system is specialized to metabolize fat Ah. so their body can absorb as much as 97 percent of the fat that they eat this helps them build up a lot of fat tissue that keeps them warm and helps them float in the water. I mm-hmm. hadn't thought about that, but fat makes you more buoyant. So they have a lot of fat on their body to help them float in the water. They do still need to come up for air. So floating is important for yes. them. 
and it stores energy for them in times of scarcity. So when they do need to go long periods of time without eating, they have fat stores that can get them through that. And studies on the polar bear genome have showed that they have genetic adaptations that help them eat and digest massive amounts of fat and cholesterol without suffering heart problems. Mm. Because most of what they're eating is seals or other types of pinnipeds, things that are really, really, really high in fat. So they have a genetic adaptation that helps their heart not struggle with all that fat and cholesterol. Hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting way that they've like adapted internally to this like specialized diet. And right. the reason I bumped them down to a 9.5 is that that does make them like highly specialized and they rely on a pretty specific diet mm. of massive amounts of fat that aren't going to be as available as they've always been like in the future, uh, which is causing some problems for them. So that's why I bumped them down to maybe a 9.5. Hmm. It's not their fault, but you know. Yeah, yeah. So this brings us to ingenuity for polar bears. I gave them a 10 out of 10. Wow. Right? <laughs> they have some remarkable hunting strategies. You have to be smart when you live in frozen tundra right like you're living on flat ground basically it's all just ice and water sometimes not even ground you have to have like you don't have topography or vegetation to hide you right, right. you can't hide like behind trees or bushes or something like that you have to just be smart about where you're going and what you're doing mm -hmm. this is like in super smash brothers when you do like final destination yes fox only no items, except not no items, which I'll get into in a minute. Um, you'd think it would be hard to miss a thousand pound polar bear trying to sneak up on you, right? Like, seems like it would be obvious. Yeah. But polar bears are especially skilled at hunting seals. What they may do is they may hide near holes in the ice where they know the seals are going to have to surface sometime. And they just wait to ambush the seals that they know are going to surface eventually. Mm -hmm. So back in the narwhal episode, I mentioned that sometimes ice shifts seasonally in such a way that breathing holes may become too far apart for marine mammals to make it from one breathing hole to another. This causes a huge problem for things like seals and narwhals and beluga whales and stuff like that. Hmm. Polar bears use this to their advantage. They spawn camp. They, they know. <laughs> they're like, okay, you all have to be funneled into this breathing spot right here. They just wait right there for, you know whatever to surface up and they're like yoink don't mind if i do gosh i'm glad to be part of the mammals that decided not to be underwater <laughs> i watched this video i don't remember if it was bbc or nat geographic but it was on youtube you can just look it up on youtube of polar mm. bears like spawn camping beluga whales at this breathing hole beluga whales yeah beluga whales what huh. i mean they picked off a young one the one okay. they picked off was really young okay. but but they do and then when seals are resting or basking on top of the ice, hmm. polar bears may silently swim up to the edge and burst out of the water to ambush them. Hmm. So like I mentioned, how they can just poke their nose up out of the water to breathe. They can very quietly sneak up on a sleeping seal, which is surprising that an animal that big could be that stealthy, but they're really good at it. Also, it like considering how big they are, that really speaks to their like strength that they can just like launch out of the water like that. Yeah. Because that's hard to do. Uh-huh. But the thing that I really was incredibly impressed by is something that we kind of like look for when we're rating ingenuity for an animal. Tool use. Okay. The use of tools, which I didn't think was going to be a thing for bears. Especially these bears. What do they got to use? That's what I said. <laughs> it's like, 
what tools could you be using? So Ice sculptures. <laughs> basically. <laughs> so when stealth and claws aren't enough, polar bears have been repeatedly, this is the key here, this is a normal thing that happens a lot, not like a one-off thing, repeatedly documented using pieces of rock and ice as tools to take down walruses really because walruses are a little too big for a polar bear to just like snatch and grab like they're too big for that Mm -hmm. so i found this paper really cool paper it's called do wild polar bears ursus maritimus use tools when hunting walruses odobenus rosmaris i didn't look up how to pronounce that that was by ian sterling Kristen ladra and eric bourne in the journal arctic in june of 2021 this is a really cool paper because it provides a compilation of accounts of polar bears using tools to hunt walruses. Hmm. So it goes over like all sorts of literature, all sorts of articles and and interviews and things like that and picks out examples of people describing instances of polar bears using tools to hunt walruses. Oh. So this goes all the way back to the 1700s when Inuit guides shared their knowledge about polar bears and their behavior with Europeans on expeditions to places like northern Canada and Greenland, and the Inuit people described polar bears throwing large chunks of ice or rock with their paws Mm. or using them to bludgeon the walruses. Because walruses are enormous. These things are huge. You're not going to take them down on your own, but they'll just whack them on the head with a rock and take them down. A few of the accounts involved the polar bear sneaking up onto a high ledge above the walruses while they were basking and then sliding a rock or piece of ice off of the edge and dropping it on them. Oh. Which is, that's like video game stuff, right? (laughs) That's like Looney Tunes behavior. Going for the environmental elimination. (laughs) (laughs) I can respect it. (laughs) I know, you do this all the time. (laughs) This behavior is illustrated in, I will say, a gorgeous engraving from a book by Charles Francis Hall that was written in 1865. It's a really cool, like, illustration of a polar bear sliding a piece of rock down onto an unsuspecting walrus. But a more recent and well-documented instance of a polar bear using tools creatively happened in 2010 by a polar bear named Gogo at the Tenoji Zoo in Osaka, Japan. Oh, So I'm going to quote from this paper, and this is a really long quote, so just trust the process because there's payoff at the end. Okay. Initially, zoo staff had been trying to improvise forms of behavioral enrichment to keep the bear from becoming bored and possibly developing repetitive stereotyped behavior. Thus, to provide stimulation and distract his attention, they hung a piece of meat about three meters above his pool, which was too high for him to grasp. Initially, Gogo tried to get to the meat by jumping, but was unsuccessful. However, about a month later, I hope they didn't have that meat hanging there for a month. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) The bear invented two tools from toys originally placed in his cage for his entertainment. First, he began to throw a short, hard piece of plastic pipe at the meat until he knocked it down. Second, although it is not known exactly how much later, he picked up the remains of a tree branch about two meters long and used it to slap the meat off the hook. (laughs) 
When he first developed these methods, it took him a, quote, couple of hours to get the meat by using either technique. But after a while, his skills improved Hmm. and he was able to retrieve the meat in only five minutes. At the time of this writing, after about 10 years, his preferred tool is a hard, dense, circular and negatively buoyant buoy-shaped object similar in size to the initial pipe, which he throws very accurately at the meat target using both front paws to direct it, much like shooting a basketball. (laughs) (laughs) So this polar bear... Just picks up this like buoy toy and just go beat. Like. <laughs> Hold on, give me a second. Whoosh. <laughs> Nothing but net. <laughs> Throws it up at this piece of meat and gets his meal. So uh, I, I got to give him a 10 for that. That's incredible. It is. <laughs> there were pictures in the paper. It's great. <laughs> it's so good of this polar bear. So fan artists listening who are looking for a fan art prompt. Uh, polar bear just slamming it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. incredible i was so thrilled to find that i was like that's the best thing i've ever heard it is and my last sort of like note for um behavior which is just like something that sets them apart from other bears is that they don't hibernate during the winter Mm. so the winter is when most of the sea ice forms and the bears rely on sea ice for hunting. They need to like walk across the sea ice to hunt seals. So in the winter, they actually have more access to food. So that's actually when they get most of their food. Hmm. And I say typically because uh, pregnant polar bears do spend winters in dens. So they will make a den because it protects and warms their cubs. But other than pregnant polar bears, winter is usually the time when they're doing most of their hunting, not hibernating hmm. like other bears. So... That brings us to aesthetics for the polar bear. I'm giving them a 9 out of 10. I think they are friend-shaped. <laughs> the round ears. They are shaped. That's a good boy. That's a boy. They're so good. Don't do it, though. I know. We did see them splashing around at the zoo. That was amazing. Mm-hmm. They're so graceful in the water. You wouldn't think a bear would be, but they're just like so adept at swimming and their movements are so fluid and beautiful and when they're in the water too their hair gets that like mermaidy sort of like mm. the long hair is like flowing and wispy and everything it looks gorgeous so a polar bear <laughs> underwater looks so good the only point i knocked off is that during lean months they get kind of skinny and that oh. looks harrowing oh they don't look amazing when yeah. they're in the lean months their conservation status is also vulnerable They're kind of a conservation icon, right? Like, you see a lot of conservation, like, messaging usually using polar bears as, like, imagery. Because it's very, like, visual. You can see the ice melting around them. You can, it it evokes a lot of, like, emotion. So, according to the IUCN, global warming is considered to be the number one threat to polar bear populations. Polar bears rely on the seasonal formation of sea ice to hunt and survive, and Arctic sea ice is rapidly disappearing. So remembering that their diet relies on high amounts of fat. They can't get by on other stuff like other bears can, Mm -hmm. right? Like they can't just like forage for vegetation or like eat something else during that time. They need massive amounts of fat that like you can really only get like that in marine mammals so you need to have access to their normal types of food to survive and they're having a harder and harder time doing that every year as things are warming up so without access to the food sources they rely on polar bears are starting to seek food elsewhere and are increasingly winding up in human communities that are not accustomed to polar bear visitors Mm. they're not usually having bears 
in their community and bears are showing up. So this is leading to increased conflict with humans, which could become a bigger threat as their range shifts. Mm. So like if this does become like a general range shift where like polar bears move farther south. Yes. You're going to have a lot more human conflict. Did you come across, I don't know if it's a myth or not, that polar bears are supposedly one of the few animals willing to hunt humans regularly? You know, that didn't come up specifically, but... Like, I don't know how it compares to, like, I did see a statistic that said that I think it was in 2017 that um, polar bears killed 20 people in that Mm -hmm. year Mm -hmm. and injured, like, more than that, but that they had killed about 20 people, which is not that many. It's, like, less than dogs. It's it's not that many, really, when you consider how big they are. But that's because their range doesn't usually overlap with people that much. But if it Mm. overlaps more, we could see that number start to rise a little bit. Well, I think the idea behind the, the the myth or what have you is that, you know, a lot of other bears have also killed people, right? But right. those are usually more opportunistic type situations. And I guess the, the thought is that with polar bears, they will actively hunt humans. I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't think that like human behavior would trigger the same like predatory instinct in a mm-hmm. polar bear, right? Like they may ha- they might have an instinct to like hunt things that are behaving in a certain way. Maybe. And if we're not doing what seals do they might not like really even consider us a valid target but it's not like never they sometimes will like attack people but i don't know if it's a predatory thing i don't know if they're doing it to eat them or doing it to like as a territorial thing or to protect their cubs or Mm -hmm. like i don't know what the motivation is behind a polar bear attack on a human but i was reading an article from nbc news that was called polar bears pushed on land by climate change get their own radar and that was by evan bush in november 2022 and i wanted to mention this article because i found a quote from wildlife biologist tom smith in this article who in discussing the increased friction between polar bears and humans says polar bears represent a small percentage of human bear conflict in north america but i don't know It takes just one polar bear mauling to ruin your whole day. Day? Your day, Tom? Does it ruin your day? Maybe if you take that approach of living your life one day at a time, (laughs) then you weren't really planning on the next one, were you? wake up the next day also injured <laughs> it's gonna ruin a bunch of your days tom maybe maybe that like it only takes hearing about a polar bear oh, mauling to I ruin see. your day but the way that i read it was like imagine you're getting like mauled by a polar bear and you're like what a bummer man man <laughs> shoot i was having such a good day i was really looking forward to i had a chicken pot pie in the freezer mm. i was gonna have and try again tomorrow i guess mm-hmm. from the hospital but yeah i mean the the polar bears are so much bigger there's unless you're like heavily armed and given enough right i don't like, see how that's going your way yeah unless you can maybe like escape you're certainly not gonna fight that bear you're certainly not going down swinging i mean I've heard sayings. <laughs> you might as well, because they, they, they don't do the whole like, "Oh, you're dead." Guess I'll leave you alone. They don't. Right. They don't do that. Well, free meal sounds great. <laughs> now, all of that was kind of a bummer, and so as opposed to the last episode where I ended on a huge bummer, this time I remembered to find a mood booster. Oh, good. <laughs> a palate cleanser, so that we don't end on a huge bummer. Polar Bears International. Mm -hmm. has a polar bear tracker 
where you can go on their website and watch the movements of GPS collared polar bears in the Hudson Bay. My favorite one is a 10-year-old female. She has a cub. Mm -hmm. Her name is Betty White. Oh. Which is such a good name for a polar bear. So if you're looking for something to do, this would be a fun like class activity, you know, like. Oh, so this was not meant to be like as a way to avoid those polar bears. I mean, (laughs) you could, but that's not like every polar bear, right? It's just like the polar bears that they have trackers on, right? Instead of the app to send push notifications. uh Oh, (laughs) like tornado warning, like how we get like tornado warnings and stuff on it. Well, we don't get tornado warnings anymore. We live in Washington. Yes. But yeah, I think they should make your phone buzz at inopportune hours. Mm -hmm. Hey. Just letting you know. <laughs> 25 miles that way? <laughs> Polar bear. <laughs> Change your plans. They should have that on Google Maps. On Google Maps, they should... It's avoid tolls, <laughs> U-turns, ferries... Polar bears. <laughs> I would always have that checked. I would never turn that off. I never want. <laughs> I never want to go through a polar bear. Yeah. <laughs> That's polar bears. Well, thanks. Thank you. That was fun. It was. <laughs> and thank you, dear listener, for spending this time with us today. We had a good time, and I hope that you did too. If you liked what you heard today, I'd love it if you left some kind words for us in a review on your podcast app of choice. If you want to hang out with us on social media, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Discord, TikTok. I'll have links to everything in the show description. We'd also like to thank Maximum Fun for having us on the network alongside their other amazing shows, like the ones you heard promos for earlier. And we'd like to thank Louis Zong for our theme music, which we love very much. It is very good. It is. I see it complimented often. I see people uh, posting the little dances Mm. that they do along to it, which I think is very cute. If you have a dance, show me the dance. Mm -hmm. In fact, get that dance going right now, because here's the music. Bye. Bye. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows, supported directly by you.